Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for this time to gather as your people. And we thank you, God, that you are rich in grace. You are generous to us. And we ask, God, very simply that you would humble our hearts on what can be a difficult topic. Help us to see the joy that it is to live generously and help us to engage evaluating our own life with excitement, not trepidation. And so, God, we ask your mercy as we interact with the truth of your word tonight. And we pray that you would give us a fresh vision for how we use our time and our talent and our treasure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that you may notice is that I I had to wear the drip Guys, a little bit more engagement here. I had to wear the drip, okay? Some of you don't know what that means. Drip is like what the, new, the cool kids say for swag now. It's uh, the drip, come through dripping. Don't really understand it, but I use it. So listen, I want to encourage you, as, as Tommy said, uh, to engage with us in this Making Our House a Home campaign. Part of that endeavor is the 50-50 uh, goal of the next five years to give 50% of everything that comes in back to the city. And that's what this merchandise is all about. It's about giving 50% of the cost of every piece of apparel back to the city. And so if you buy some of the merchandise in the back tonight, if you go into our online store, which you can find if you texted the word hi into our digital program, 50% of every piece of apparel goes back into the city to support the city, uh, to care for the physical, social mental, emotional, spiritual needs of our city to see renewal happen. And we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church that makes our house a home continually. You see, a house is a place that you visit and that you spend some time in for a period of time because some friends are there or maybe you're invited for the first time. But it's not a place that you live and belong. It's a place that you evaluate how things are set up and you get to know people. But a home is a place where you have ownership, it's where you belong, it's where your family is, it's where you have a voice. And we want you to know that this is a home for you, and we also want you to know 
that we have a goal to see this place become a home for many more in our city. We want to see God reach and care for people well here in Miami. And so we close our series tonight with the topic of generosity. We've been looking at uh, this idea of influencers or influence and what influences your life and how does that affect the way that you serve and you worship and you live a culture of invitation and of grace. And tonight we close with generosity. And it's timely because we're asking you for all of you that consider Crossbridge your home or you regularly attend here, you're a member, to engage with us via the pledge card, whether the physical one or online. And so we want to encourage you to engage by generously giving of your time and your talent and your treasure. And many of you here, when you heard that the topic was on generosity, you immediately got a little sweaty. You got a little nervous. Some of you are like, oh, wow, that's so weird. I have a work call for the next 30 minutes. I have to go to my car, and then I'll be back for the closing of the service. Because generosity makes us uncomfortable. It makes us a little bit nervous. What's he going to say? Is he going to make me feel guilty? So I want to do something. I want to ask you to clap and shout when I say the word generosity. Okay? Okay. All right, ready? Generosity. Guys, I believe in you. Look at that. That's the best ever. We're going to do generosity every single week. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Here's one thing. Here's one rule. Please do not do that every time I say generosity in this sermon. Then it's, we're going to be here for a long time. Okay? So for your own sake, don't do that anymore. <laughs> But see, the reason I wanted to do that is because we should have that kind of disposition with this topic. We should be excited, ready to engage, ready to evaluate, not nervous, because this is not a topic that should, where you should feel guilt, where you should need to be persuaded. There should be joy and excitement when you consider what it means to live generous. The passage we're looking at this evening is written to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul writes this letter. He writes two letters that we have in Scripture to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. However, he wrote other letters too. And so he wrote some letters that are not contained in Scripture. We do not believe that the other letters that were written are the authoritative word of God, but these two, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are. However, here in 2 Corinthians, he references a letter that he wrote in between the first letter and the second that we have. And it's called the severe letter. How many of you have had a severe letter written to you? Or maybe a text or an email, right? So the Corinthian church received this severe letter after they received the first letter that we have in our Bible that Paul addresses some disunity and some issues in the church, and he begins to try to deepen and enrich their theology, speaking about spiritual gifts and the love of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And then he writes this severe letter because he hears that the church in Corinth has begun to lack generosity. And then he references it here again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So here's what happened. The apostle Paul decided to start an initiative called the Collection the collection of the saints. Because what was happening in the very beginnings of the church as the church was going out all through the known world, 
the church in Jerusalem was struggling. There was heavy persecution. They were very poor. Many of the Christians in Jerusalem had lost their jobs. They didn't know how they were going to eat. And so the apostle Paul says, why don't we get all the other churches together to collect money to help them out? We are one church. We're one family. We need to live generous to help out those that are struggling. And so he starts this collection with the church in Corinth, which is actually the first church to engage, and then those in Galatia and Macedonia, they begin this collection. But the church in Corinth at some point said, no, we're done with this. We've been generous enough. We've given enough. It's time for us to stop. We're going to care about ourselves, our church, our city, our own life. Let them figure it out. So the Apostle Paul writes them a severe letter to challenge them, and then he brings it up again here in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And here's what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. He's using the Macedonian church as an example and as a challenge to the Corinthian church. He's saying, you're lacking generosity. Let's look at the generosity of the Macedonians, who are very poor, rock-bottom poor. In fact, they're so poor that when the Apostle Paul started the collection of the saints, he did not invite and include the Macedonian church because he assumed there's no way they can engage. They don't have a surplus. How can they help out? But yet, what we read is that they were filled with abundant joy, and they engaged in radical and rich generosity. In fact, they begged to join. Can you imagine begging to join a collection where you're giving, even in your poverty, to help out others? Verse 3 through 5 gives us some more insight. It says, For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. There's no guilt. There's no obligation. It's their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So the church in Macedonia, who is extremely poor, they have very little surplus, if any at all, they begged to join the collection to give of their finances. And they gave above and beyond what anyone expected. And they were full of joy. And it was their own free will. And the reason they did this is because they had given themselves to God. They had given everything to God. And they had submitted to the apostles' teaching. And they said, we want to be a part of this. We want to give. It's a privilege for us to give. See, there's a lot that we can take when we slow down in reading Scripture and really zoom in on the words that are being used. I wrote some words down that kind of jumped out of the page to me as the Apostle Paul is talking about generosity in the Macedonian church. And he says that God in his kindness has done, this is how they viewed all of what they had, they were filled with abundant joy. They overflowed. They gave far more. They were it was of their own free will. It was a privilege, and they gave to God. 
Now, I learned something this week, and that is when you see something, you recall at 1x. When you see something and hear something, you recall at 2x. When you see something, hear something, and write it down, you recall at 5x. And when you see something, hear something, write it down, and then follow up on what you wrote down within 24 hours, you recall at 10x. You're like, what does this have to do with generosity? I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe some of you are not accustomed to doing, and that is to write these words down. Pull out your phone. Maybe you don't have a pen. Pull it right out in your notes. If you're like me, it's an Evernote app. Write the words down. Here's why. I want to encourage you to go back to these words in 24 hours and evaluate. Because what I want to challenge all of us to consider is when you look at these words, does that describe your experience of giving? When you give your time and your talent and your treasure, would you say, and I give because God and his kindness has given to me and I'm filled with abundant joy and it's of my own free will and it is a privilege to give and I'll give far more than is expected. And I do all of this because I've given all of myself to God. I overflow. I think if we're honest, maybe a few of those words define our giving at times, but all of that would be difficult. And that is because giving is hard. Generosity is difficult. It's not easy to give this way, to live in rich generosity, radical generosity. And that is because we cling very tightly to our time and our talent and especially our treasure. And I want to look at treasure or money and finances because I think that's the hardest one to give. I don't know who said it, but someone has said that when you come to faith in Christ and you convert to believing in Jesus, the last part of you to be converted is your wallet. It's like, I, I'm all in except for that. Because that is something that we elevate and we have placed such importance. We protect it. And yet Jesus says a lot about money. In fact, Jesus speaks so much about money that if we followed his example, we would not have a church. Because nobody would show up. You're like, it's a money talk again. Jesus speaks about it all the time because it's dangerous when you don't evaluate. In the greatest sermon ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about money. In Matthew chapter 6, maybe you've heard this passage before, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pretty straightforward. Don't invest your time and your energy and your effort in accumulating possessions and finances, and treasures on earth because they will break down. They'll be destroyed. You'll never have enough. They will run out. They will get taken from you. You do not take them with you. Don't invest all of your time and your energy and your focus on treasures on earth. Rather, the better investment is to invest your energy and your focus and your time and your effort on treasures in heaven where they're eternal and lasting, and they don't break down. They're not taken. 
Jesus is saying that the better return on investment is to look to heaven, to invest there instead of on earth. And he gets right to the point, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pretty clear. You cannot serve both. You cannot give all of your time and attention and focus on money and then also tell yourself that you're giving your time and attention and focus on God. You cannot serve both. You will love one and hate the other or, will, or you will despise one and follow the other. Money is dangerous in that way. Treasures on earth are dangerous in that way. But I left out something in the middle. If some of you are following your Bible. You notice I skipped over two verses and that's on purpose. Because he says something in the middle that seems like it doesn't fit. It's like, what? this is a weird addition. He says this in verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Really interesting that that is placed right there. If I were just to quote that passage, you would automatically assume a lot of different things that that applies to. It's obviously speaking about what you look at, what you focus at. If you focus at the wrong thing, it will darken your heart. It will fill you with darkness. And we begin to apply that in many different ways. But where does Jesus apply it? Money. Finances. Treasures on earth. Why? He's saying that the greed and materialism has a unique ability to blind you spiritually. A unique ability to blind you spiritually. Unlike other sin, greed and materialism has the unique ability to blind you spiritually. When you focus on the wrong thing, when you focus on treasures on earth and money, and you begin to engage in greed and materialism, it will blind you and darken you spiritually, and you won't even notice it. So I tested this, and I went to Google, because that's where I test everything. And here's what I did. I said, let me take the seven deadly sins. Okay, this is, you know, seven sins that have been highlighted. There's been even movies made after them. And I said, okay, I'm going to take each of the sins, pride, lust, anger, envy, gluttony, sloth, or laziness, and greed, and I'm going to write the word, and then I'm going to put send, sin and see what happens. So I put the word pride and then the word sin, and I got 81 million hits. I put the word lust and sin, and I got 71 million hits. I put anger and sin, 49 million. Sloth, nobody uses that term. So I put lazy, and I got 34 million. I put envy and sin, I got 24 million hits. I put gluttony and I got 7 million because, again, no one uses that word. But gluttony is overeating and overdrinking. So I put drunkenness or drunk and sin and I got 79 million hits. I put greed and I got 17 million hits, the lowest of every one. And then I put materialism and I got 4 million hits. Four million on Google, materialism and the word sin. What does that mean? 
Materialism has a unique ability to blind you from your materialism. Greed has a unique ability to blind you from your greed. That is because greed is an eye sin. When you focus on treasures on earth and you focus too much on money and your finances, it has a unique ability to darken you to the reality that you are, in fact, greedy and materialistic. I'll give you an example. If you have been a part of a Bible study or a small group or a community group before, and you have a time where you're having discussion and maybe you're sharing prayer requests and you're discussing what you're struggling with, how many times have you heard somebody say, I'm greedy? Hey, I'm really materialistic. Can you guys pray for me? I don't know if I've ever heard someone say that. I've heard someone say I struggle with pride, struggle with lust, with anger, with envy. I have an undisciplined, lazy life. I drink too much. I've never heard someone say, I'm greedy. I'm materialistic. I'm actually thinking about shopping tonight. I've never heard someone say that. Why? Because we never think that we are greedy. We never think we're materialistic. We think everyone else is. We point it out in other people. Look at them. That person's greedy. That person's materialistic. And we often assume that in order for you to be greedy and materialistic, you have to be very rich. Only the very rich can be greedy and materialistic. But Jesus speaks to everyone. In fact, many of the people he's preaching to are very poor. And he says, be careful what you look at because you will blind yourself spiritually. And greed is unique in that way. Other sins are not like that. You don't all of a sudden one night go, I'm drunk. How'd I get drunk? (laughs) You know when you're drinking too much. You're making that choice. But you don't all of a sudden wake up and say, I'm greedy. I'm materialistic because you blind yourself from it. When you focus too much on treasures on earth, you assume everyone else is that, but not me. Here's a, here's a little uh, test. If you're like, well, how do I know if I'm greedy or materialistic? Up until this point, as you were processing, if you thought to yourself, I'm not greedy or materialistic, you are. <laughs> because if you're living generously, you're constantly evaluating how you use your time and your talent and your treasure. You're constantly evaluating how you're giving. You're asking yourself hard questions. Because you know that you have the tendency to become greedy and to become materialistic because we all do, especially in this culture. And so if you think that this is not something I struggle with, then most likely you do and you've been focusing on it and it's blinded you. It's filled you with darkness and you can't see. I did a little case study. How many of you here are familiar with the viral Instagram profile preachers and sneakers? How many? Some of you? Okay. Not as many as I thought. Preachers and Sneakers is exactly what it is. It's a profile of preachers wearing sneakers, but it's about exposing the price tag of the sneakers they're wearing. And so I didn't want to put any pastors on blast that you may know, so just did those. But here we have the off-white Jordan 1s, a cool $1,099 at resale. Then we have the off-white Nike Prestos at $655. These are resale prices. Now, when you look at that, what do you think? Don't shout it out. You're like, okay, wait a second. So preachers are wearing very expensive shoes. And when you go on the profile, you'll see some shoes priced at $4,000, $5,000, $300, $800, $1,000. Well, 
So what's most interesting about preachers and sneakers, it's not the price of the shoes and the people being featured, it's the comments. You go on there and you look at the comments. And you're going to see one or two responses. You're going to see people that are defending. They're defending the shoes. So you don't know. Maybe they were a gift. Maybe they bought them at retail where they're much, much, much cheaper. They got them for 120 bucks, and they went up because a lot of people wanted them, and it's limited supply, and that's what they are for resale, but the retail is much, much lower. Maybe they spent the money off of their book sales and not off of the money that the church gave them. Maybe they're into fashion, and you're into something else, but don't judge them. The vast majority of comments are not defense, but attack. These people are heretics. I would never go to a church with someone that wears shoes like that. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. Then inevitably, the people that attack, they have a line that sounds something like this. I buy my shoes at Walmart, and I spend $20. I can't imagine spending more than $20. I get the Velcros, you know? (laughs) But see, both of these responses are wrong. Blind defense is ignorant. It's ignorant. You see, it is in fact true that many people on Preachers and Sneakers may have a blindness to materialism. There may be greed that people around them need to address and to bring out. And to blindly defend is ignorant because most of the people defending don't know any of these pastors. They don't know how they manage the rest of their time and their talent and their treasure. They just like their content, and so they're blindly defending. That's ignorant. But then attacking is egotistical. Because again, you don't know how they spend the rest of their finances, how they spend their time and their talent, and how generous they do in fact live. See, there is grace for the things that we can enjoy God has not said that you cannot have leisure and entertainment and things that you're into that you want to spend your money on. The issue is not the money. The issue is whether or not it has taken hold of your heart and darkened you to your greed and focus on materialism. See, a lot of us look at that and we think, I would never spend $1,000 on shoes, but you're a car person, or you get a new phone every year, or you eat nice dinners constantly, you spend money on a new TV. Or some of the people on here may have 10-year-old TVs. You live in a really nice house. You have extra bedrooms because you want them. Whatever it may be, the issue is not the shoes. See, the right response is not blind defense and it's not attacking, it's evaluation. See, when you see this, you should evaluate. One, you should evaluate the people. Their character, their conduct, their content. As best as you are able, you should evaluate. If it makes you feel uncomfortable because you see something that looks like greed and materialism, you should evaluate it. And then if you have a negative judgment, you should be very careful how you steward that judgment because you can easily slip into slander and gossip, which a lot of people on social media do. You evaluate. But you don't just evaluate them. You evaluate yourself. You see, greed is off-putting because it triggers something that we, in fact, may be struggling with ourselves. And so when you see that, do you automatically go to judging, defending, attacking, 
Or do you instinctively go, wait, 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 let me evaluate myself first. How am I stewarding my time, my treasure, my talents? Before I start making judgments on other people I don't know, let me look at myself. Is there materialism in my life? Is there greed in my life? See, that's the issue. The issue that this profile on Instagram brings out is a lack of generosity. Whether or not it's true, it feels that way. That is the issue, and it's off-putting. And part of the problem with generosity is that when we begin to look at it and to interact with it, and we begin to look at greed, we never think it's true of us because greed keeps you from asking questions about your own greed. It darkens you. And it blinds you. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's saying, I want you to look at the Macedonians who have far less than you and are giving far more. And their giving is full of joy. It is a privilege to them. They're overflowing with generosity. They're begging to engage. And they give it because they're surrendered to God. And I want this to cause you to evaluate your life not to judge others, not to defend your decisions, but to evaluate your life and how you're living. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 6 and 7, he says, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of the giving. We want to see you finish your commitment. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. You see, if you were to go to the church in Corinth, you would see that they have very gifted speakers, that they have strong faith where they're constantly praying for healing in the lives of their people, that They have a deep theological knowledge that is rich and mature, and they have enthusiasm around these things. But what you would not see in the church is generosity. The Apostle Paul says, these things are great, but I want you to excel in generosity too. I want you to evaluate. And he says, I'm not commanding you to do this, because when you command someone to do something, it becomes an obligation. This is not to be an obligation, but rather a privilege. But I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the love of other churches. I want you to evaluate your love. Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you are not living generously, but rather greedy, and you're keeping everything in, and unwilling to give it to help and to serve and to benefit others, evaluate your love. Are you loving the way that you've been called to. And then he gives them some advice, which is really, really helpful. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, with joy, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. 
They only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. And this way, things will be equal. This is really helpful. He says, I don't want you to make yourself poor to help out those that are poor. I don't want you to sacrifice your future and your family to live generously. I want you to give proportionally, and I want you to give eagerly with joy. I want there to be some equality here. You have plenty. How are you stewarding what you have? Give proportionally. Many of us are like, well, what's proportionally? That sounds great, but what is proportionally? Many of us in the room connect immediately to 10%. You're like, it's in the Bible, 10%. It is true that it is in the Bible. We believe that God's word is from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, we see this ethic of giving 10%. And I do think that there is wisdom with giving 10%. 10% of your time, 10% of your treasure, 10% of your talent. Why? Especially with giving 10% of your treasure... Because money is so dangerous and greed is so dangerous and materialism is so dangerous where it blinds you to the reality of it, it's helpful to put up some proportional parameters that can keep greed at bay. That can keep it at bay where you say, this is what I'm going to give as a floor and that's how I'm going to try to put up some kind of parameters so that I don't darken my soul by focusing too much on money and not serving God. But here's the problem. You can give 10% of your time and your talent and your treasure and still be greedy. You can give 10% and just say, you know what, it's not that hard for me. There's really no commitment. There's no sacrifice. There's no worship. There's no joy. It's just a check that I write. It's just a volunteer opportunity that I sign up for. It's just, you know, a little work on the computer throughout the week to help out the church. It's not really like eagerness, joy, worship. It's just an obligation. That's not generosity. You can give 10% and still be greedy. It's interesting to think, why does Jesus never give a number? He never gives a percentage because he knows us. He knows that if Jesus said, give 10%, what would we all do? We'd give 10% and then keep 90 for us. Did the 10. Did my duty. Now the rest is mine. I'll give 10% of my time here, but the rest is how I want to do it. I'll give 10% of my talent here, and the rest is for me. I'll give 10% of my treasure here, and the rest is for me. Think about how the ancient hymn goes. It says, I surrender one-tenth. I surrender one-tenth. All to thee, my blessed Savior. Come on. I surrender one-tenth. Is that how it goes? What is it? I surrender what? All. It's not about a percentage. It's about surrendering all. A a percentage can be wise, helpful. It's about surrendering all. All of your time. All of your talent. All of your treasure. That's living generous. Begging to engage. Joy. Privilege. Overflowing recognizing that all that you have is because of God's kindness to you, not just your hard work. And saying, I've given all of myself to God. Why would I not also give all of myself to his mission and his church and his people? 
So I'm going to actually, instead of just looking at a percentage and achieving that and walking away, I'm going to have a percentage as a floor and then say, God, show me where you want me to give more. How can I invest more time, more talent, more treasure in what you're doing in the city, what you're doing in this church, what you want me to do in my workplace? I want to live generously. And the reason that we're to live that way is because what the Apostle Paul says in verse 9. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus didn't give 10%. He gave it all. He gave his life for you and for me. He gave his life on the cross for our guilt and our sin and our shame and our greed and our materialism so that when we come to Christ who made himself poor of his own free will out of joy for you was his privilege when you come to him in faith and you see his life and his death and his resurrection you receive his richness regardless of what is happening in your life you are rich in Christ if you believe in him And you're rich not only now, but you're rich eternally. And when you come to see the generous grace of God, that he has made you rich through his poverty, through him giving and surrendering it all on the cross for you, it should move you and lead you to say, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give it all to him and to his mission and his gospel. Because many need to hear this generous grace. See, would Jesus Christ and his generous grace be the greatest influence on your heart? Not money, not protecting your time, not conserving your talents, but will we give it all to him and experience the joy of generosity, the privilege of generosity? When we think about generosity in the future, will we clap and shout? Would you email me this week and say, Carter, let's preach on generosity again? Because it is a joy to give. Will you pray with me? God, we want to be honest before you tonight. And being honest means we struggle with living generous. I know I struggle with living generous. It's so easy to protect my time and my talent and my treasure But I ask, God, that you would help me through the power of the Holy Spirit to evaluate my life. That I would see the joy of giving it all. That I would surrender not a percentage, but all of it to you. And that I would give with eagerness because I've given everything to you at your feet. Would I invest my life and my time, my focus, my effort on treasures in heaven, not on earth? I pray that would be true of all of us, God. That we would see your word as true and we would trust it and then experience the joy that we find in living generously. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.